We're back on Date with the Night, and today I'm joined by Robbie Banfitch, director, writer, actor, and editor, to talk about his indie art house horror film, The Outwaters. Welcome, Robbie. How are you today? I'm good. Sounds so obnoxious when I hear all those things. <laughs> no, it's amazing that you do all those things. I think if I were to make a movie, I would also have all those titles under my name as well. So I didn't really have a choice anyway. Right, because The Outwaters is the definition of an indie film in that you made this film with a very modest budget of 15000 So I'm sure you had to take on a lot of the responsibility just to cut costs. I made it while I was working at Greenpeace. So you don't make much of a nonprofit, and I made it on like after I paid rent, LA rent. <laughs> well, congrats, because your film garnered a lot of buzz this time last year. And I love horror films, as I know you do. But I'm wondering, how did this interest in the horror film genre start for you? Why do you love scary movies? The first movie that I remember watching that had horror elements to it was the original King Kong. That's like the earliest memory. All I remember is having a kid tray and watching King Kong over and over and loving um, the dinosaurs. <laughs> I was always pretty scared when he picked up Fay Ray. I was like, whoa, I think I was two or three. <laughs> And then I saw Jaws when I was three and cried when they blew up the shark at the end. And my mom was confused as to why I was crying about the shark dying. That was probably my first like horror movie that I remember. But I don't know, Jaws started my love of films and starting to think about like maybe wanting to do that. I guess I wasn't thinking about making films when I was three, but not long after I started making them. You crying was just for the deeper symbolism of what the shark represented. I love sharks. kind of in tune to that. <laughs> I just love sharks. I think I also like maybe didn't want the movie to end or something like that. Were you one of those kids where you would watch a movie all over again as soon as it ends? I just did that with Tar. I <laughs> watched Tar and then I started at the beginning. That's amazing. I still do that. And yes, there was a tape I had. It's called Planet of Dinosaurs from like 77. And it's stop motion animation dinosaurs. But with like 70s acting and gore, that one, I wore that out. I have not seen that. I'll have to check it out after this. Mine was Kindergarten Cop. That was mine. I watched it over and over. I thought it was so hilarious. My parents had to tell me that the VCR was sleeping. Oh, is that what they said? Yeah. It's sleeping. It needs time to rest. Mine just let me keep watching it so they could do other things. <laughs> I loved being scared as a kid. I would watch Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps. And we had this like scholastic book fair. And I think I only bought two things ever from that fair. And they were more scary stories to tell in the dark. As a kid, did you like being scared? <laughs> yes. I have my old copies of scary stories, but I just bought a new hardcover with all three of the books in one. So yes, I like being scared. My dad would do freaky shit though, like come to the window in the middle of the night dressed as E.T. and wake me up, which was like very uh, magical, but also kind of scary to have like E.T. Like he had a full E.T. costume that was realistic and he would like hobble into the kitchen and my mom would give me Reese's Pieces. Or I would leave out Reese's Pieces for E.T. <laughs> the same way that you leave out cookies for um, Santa. And I really thought that E.T. was my friend. Oh, I thought that. I was pretty special and cool because E.T. used to like literally come visit me. Turns out it was my dad. That's really cute. I used to talk to the girl in the mirror when I was a kid, but the girl in the mirror was just me. Oh. My dad would hide behind the bathroom wall and like make voices. I legitimately was like friends with my reflection for maybe at least two years of my childhood. 
lucky didn't see Candyman at age six like I did. No, I saw that much later, but I knew of the legend of Bloody Mary, icon, love her. Used to terrify my childhood friends with that story, and for whatever reason, that did not deter me from making friends with the girl in the mirror. So I'm interested to know, now as an adult, what scares you personally? Gun violence? Um, Yeah. I was held up at gunpoint. Even before that, I was always on the lookout, even though obviously statistically it's like very unlikely that you're going to have a gun in your face. I was still always scared of it, probably from watching, you know, too much like news and um, unsolved mysteries growing up. Yeah. Just mass shootings, things like that scare me. Walking around at night before I was robbed scared me, still does, but I do it because I got to get to the gay bar. Um, (laughs) I do sometimes get creeped out when I'm by myself in my apartment. It's hard for me to watch unsolved mysteries still. By myself. Yeah, I used to watch that and it scared me as well. Say with America's Most Wanted. No, I, I don't remember watching that very much, but it's <laughs> like I still can put on an old Unsolved Mysteries episode and then have to turn it off if I'm by myself. Yeah. And then I have to go to bed. Also, there's like a lot like... <laughs> Like my neighbor like pulled a knife on someone the other day. Like, you know, my neighborhood's it's a little rowdy right now. So everybody has the code to my building. Everybody lets a bunch of random people in. You know, it's like my upstairs neighbor probably hates me from listening to screams while I was editing the Outwaters for years. Your neighborhood kind of sounds like the first twenty minutes of Bo is Afraid, that newest Ari Aster film. I haven't seen it yet. Well, I live it's literally about a hundred feet from the shadow of the big blue Scientology building it's perfect at night when you look through my windows and you're trying to have a romantic moment you see the bright scientology lights <laughs> to remind you they're always out there yeah my neighborhood's funny so outside of horror what are some of your film influences broadly speaking initially it was all spielberg type stuff and still is but i was already making movies but they were kind of silly like scream i know what you did last summer chase scene movies there was a remake of psycho that I made, but with like a musical sequences where we danced to like Hit Me Baby One More Time and <laughs> Mr. Boombastic. So after I moved out of that era, I started seeing things like Jackie Brown, Requiem for a Dream, Donnie Darko, American Beauty, Magnolia. Those started to really be like, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do this. Oh, my God. She's like floating over the bed with petals falling down. What the fuck is this? Because I was like 12, 13. My film started to change and become more like serious. Oh, gummo. My parents took me to see American Beauty in theaters with them when I was like nine or 10. I had to sneak in. (laughs) My parents just took me. I don't know why. I think halfway through watching the movie, they're like, I don't know if we should have brought her (laughs) with us. But I bought a ticket. Oh, wait, maybe that was Magnolia. I bought a ticket to The Road to El Dorado, which is a Disney (laughs) movie. And I think actually, I think it was Magnolia that, that one I had to sneak into with that particular ticket. Anyway, but yes. Both good films, in my opinion. Same year. Amazing year. Amy Mann losing the Oscar for Save Me still I know. irks the shit out of me. Yeah, she was done dirty. <laughs> I was like, you fucking kidding me? This fucking Disney... I mean, Disney's wonderful, but like this fucking Disney song would be out fucking Amy Mann Save Me. Like, just I still tweet about it every Oscar season. I just can't get behind them. If I took over the Academy, this is the first thing I would correct. I'd retroactively go back and be like, this was a wrongdoing. This was a wrong that we need to write. And Tom Cruise's character in that film is just, I don't know, I feel like this role was kind of way before its time. You know what's interesting? Um, whatever. I was like, I don't think like I should shade Tom Cruise, but I'm like, what the fuck? He's, I'm he's about a Scientologist. Scientolo- yeah, just like, who gives a shit? No, They're going to come after you. They're right across pro- the street, so. <laughs> <laughs> they are, yeah. Nicole Kidman 
generally, I don't know if she still does, but she always had an acting coach that she was very close with that she would bring on to most of her projects. And my understanding is that Tom Cruise used her for Magnolia, which is why I think that performance of his like really is quite special in contrast. Yeah. Not that he's a bad actor, he's a great actor, but like you know, there's something different about that one. Yeah, it feels a little too real almost. You mentioned the Harmony Corinne film Gamo in that list of influential films. You had an after party for The Outwaters at a bar in Astoria, Queens. Hearts of Gold, yes. Which included a showing of Harmony Corinne's Trash Humpers. Why Trash Humpers? I was told by my friend Madeline Kessner, who hosts a movie night at Heart of Gold, that there was an opening we could kind of like host one together. And I thought what would be like the most uncomfortable thing to show a group of strangers and I had not seen Trash Humpers but just knowing it was Harmony <laughs> and the title and what it was about I was like this sounds perfect <laughs> so behind the bar they have an outside area where you can you know drink and sit and but it's also a bunch of apartments as the sounds of people humping trash emanated people started coming to their windows I'm like what the fuck is that this was right before Valentine's Day <laughs> so there's definitely a couple trying to enjoy a romantic evening right inside. And then I went inside to hear what it sounded like. It was just like, <laughs> one of the attendees um, wrote an angry letter that they were offended. That's the last Harmony Corinne film I would recommend to anyone looking to get into his filmography. It was a special evening. <laughs> yeah, I bet, especially for that couple. So what is it about Harmony's work that inspires you? I just recently saw that for the first time. And like, I've seen it I saw it when it came out, but I saw it for the first time in a theater recently. And there's something about how pure that film seems to be and just how free it is to do whatever the fuck it wants will always in inspire me. It, when I saw it in the theater at the New Beverly, I was in this space where I was kind of nervous about, oh, my next movie, what are people going to think? Or like meeting with all these film companies and like, oh, what if they want to change my, all that shit. I saw Gobo and I was like, wait, who fucking care? I could do whatever I want. I don't care. It's like, it doesn't have to be with the film company. It can be with the film company. But like, there's something about it that's just so inspiring because it's so free. Yeah. I would be surprised if he like had to take studio notes. I, I have no idea, but like, it just doesn't seem like it was altered in any way. And I love it. Yeah. What I appreciated about Gummo is it's a film that interrogates and disrupts conventions in filmmaking in a way that I think critics and audiences maybe hadn't seen before or hadn't seen in a long time. Like the bacon on the wall in Gummo really reminds me of Marcel Duchamp's Fountain in that it's sort of an F you to the rules, I would say, when it comes to filmmaking. I don't know if you were on the IMDb message boards in the 2000s, but... I was actually, I was always on Roger Ebert's website. Nice, nice. <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> trust more anyone else. I didn't trust <laughs> anyone else. Even if he didn't like something, I understood what he was saying and I could kind of gauge if I might like it or not. Mm -hmm. Well, Gummo is a very memorable title for a film. I think The Outwaters is a really great title, one you remember. It's very evocative. Now, I understand the title of your film came before the actual story itself. Is that correct? Yes. So there's a movie called Outland with Sean Connery. Outlands, Outland, Outlands. It's just, that's my favorite word due to its evocativeness. <laughs> And I guess in thinking about that word and loving that word, I just switched water. There's my jersey, water. <laughs> switched land for water and uh, <laughs> came up with a new word that doesn't exist. I just thought it would be a great horror title. I was like, what would a horror film call 
the Outwaters be. That's probably why you say it's in sync with the title, because all the movie came from the title, exploring the images that came from that and the thoughts that came from that. Yeah, I've seen it classified as a couple of different things, like cosmic horror. I heard it's just like a dark screen for an hour. You can't see anything. It's about nothing. (laughs) That's what I heard. (laughs) It's weird. So you've read some of the critics' reviews. (laughs) Oh, oh, I read everything. I want to know what people think. There may be a point where I don't, but I like reading what people think. That's great. So you're not hurt when you read those things. It's like whatever kind of water Uh, off. No, I'm not hurt. I get annoyed. There's like different categories. There's a category of I totally understand what they're saying. And I knew when I was making it that it would turn off a lot of people at a certain point, meaning with the flashlight beam and all that stuff. And that I totally get. But the thing that really irks the shit out of me is when people like just state things as fact that are not true. Yeah. But they state it very confidently as fact. Those things really, they don't hurt me. They just really make me annoyed. When you hear something that you know is not true about yourself or something you've done. Yeah. The light was actually something that both my co-producer and I really, really loved. Have you seen like the huge discussions on Reddit about what your film means? No, because I've never had a Reddit and I can't get into that because... Letterbox is enough of a hole to go down. <laughs> I had deleted Instagram. I only got it back for the Outwaters. And even just having an Instagram again, I'm like, fuck. So I won't be getting a Reddit, but I am aware that lots of things are said. My mom is like, have you seen what they're saying on Reddit about you? I'm like, oh, I really don't care. And I know I'm not. Don't go on Reddit, mom. <laughs> no, but these are good. This was like 250 common thread about what your film means and like what certain things symbolize and oh like- no yeah no i've heard about that i was just uh, giving context as to why i will never get a reddit <laughs> <laughs> no i totally understand you i feel you what struck me about your film that i really loved is it's this wonderful mixture of like weird core and cosmic horror and you use nature to complement the terrifying occurrences that happen out in the desert while you and your friends are shooting this DIY music video. I was reading Mark Fisher's Weird and Eerie, and Fisher argues that some of the most haunting and anomalous fiction of the 20th century belongs to these two modes of weird and eerie. Like a black hole is weird because it bends space and time, which are completely outside our common experience, yet it belongs to the natural material cosmos. I think of Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy when I watch your film, And I think of this like weird unsettling feeling that I have when I watch The Outwaters and I watch Annihilation. Now you worked for Greenpeace. The Outwaters is so inspired by nature. Was that something you wanted to eventually tackle with your work? How both beautiful, terrifying, and also how unfathomable nature can be? That's always been running through me. Nature, the terror of it, and the beauty. That's why I love Terrence Malick so much. I was a very much like a, a nature kid. I run off into the woods a lot. I went to the Arctic Refuge well, when I was in high school and tried to look for wolves and went to Australia and tried to find crocodiles. I was drawn to Annihilation and I've read the first book. I have the other two. I haven't read them yet. I was very drawn to that for those reasons. I had started writing and even filming parts of Outwaters before I was aware of those. That's probably why I liked them so much. Just side note back to this book that I was reading, one funny thing about it was that Freud is referenced in it and the weird kind of concept of a film where things are like weird and unsettling and that's what makes it so scary. There's this concept called unheimlich, which is similar to the word uncanny and it's like these mechanical entities that appear human kind of call upon this like weird 
an anxious feeling. And Freud describes the feeling of weird or uncanny moments to be castration anxiety, which oh. I thought was really interesting considering some things that potentially occur in your film. Well, that's spoilers. always an anxiety <laughs> ever since I got hit in the balls uh, when I was playing soccer when I was <laughs> a, a wee one and the cup like just really didn't seem to help. And so that's a, yeah, that's the thing I think about. I think most men think about. Yeah, that probably thing. at some point in their life. <laughs> that Lorena Bobbitt didn't help. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know if there's a question there. But yes, don't want my dick off. I just found it interesting that this book was talking about this mode of horror that I could see present throughout your film, which gives explanation to why your film is so effective in making you feel unsettled or scared. And what's brought up is also this castration anxiety within the realm of weird or cosmic horror stories. What I also really appreciated about The Outwaters is this glimpse of the cosmic horrors and creatures without giving too much away, leaving you all the more unnerved by letting your mind fill in the blanks. Looking back on it, I should have gone the CG route and had like a ghost face pop up <laughs> and morph. You ever see that? It's very frightening. Yes, a yes. morphing ghost face. Outwaters 2, it's coming. The sequel, exactly. This film features you and your friends going into the desert to shoot a DIY music video, but unlike most found footage films, they actually like each other. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was from the beginning. I can't fucking stand it when it's like characters hate each other and it's just fighting because your fucking screenwriting teacher told you you need a conflict, so you think that means everybody needs to fucking bark at each other like idiots. Yeah, oh. no one has an intimate connection in any way or a real friendship. Oh, it's I just, just wanted to show people that actually liked each other for once. And one of these, not yeah. for once, because there's uh, Willow Creek is a movie I love, and the couple in it, they love each other. So Yeah, exactly. Love that. I love love. <laughs> Me too. And gummo. You love it so much <laughs> that you really made an impact on some person's Valentine's Day that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it is a found footage film. That's a very divisive genre of any like horror film. I'm just even thinking back to the Blair Witch Project, which people were undecided, like especially critics being like they really lambasted the film. But it's one that's very memorable that people love. And it's like kind of a cult horror film. What was it about the Blair Witch Project that made such an impression on you? And did it influence your undertaking of creating this like found footage film? Well, the first thing is, is that it was good. <laughs> like, yeah. The Blair Witch Project is an amazing work. I agree. So that's the first thing. For me, found footage, not found footage, whatever, they're all movies. And if it's done well, I try not to, I'm allergic a little bit to like these dogmas. Mm -hmm. Like a found footage film has to be 80 minutes tops. I've seen this like 200 times. Yeah. Where are you getting your data on that? <laughs> like, what, what does that even mean? It's one thing to say a film feels like slow and criticize it for this feels really slow but to put like some kind of time cap feels very arbitrary i think i've strayed from the question because i was about venting no that's a great about answer. the dogma of found footage what was it about the blair witch project it was a great film <laughs> and yeah for me the purpose of found footage is to feel authentic that's the whole reason you would do it in that way and yeah. the blair witch project succeeds 100 percent in feeling real and non-acted so i find that to be rare I can still enjoy a found footage movie that doesn't have those qualities, but Blair Witch Project has those qualities, and that's why I love it so much. It's just a little piece of cinema. And there's a total freedom to making a film that way. You can just make it with your friends if you need to or want to. You can go anywhere with your little camera and not get kicked out of places that you're not legally allowed to be filming. It, there's just a freedom that comes with it. 
I thought that The Outwater subverted the found footage genre. It's not exactly like other films that exist in this category. In fact, it reminds me of films like Coherence and Time Crimes. I don't know if you've seen those. I saw Time Crimes. I, I have not seen Coherence, but I'm aware of it. Was there a reaction to the film that was sort of a surprise or unexpected to you? Nothing's coming to mind, but I think that's because I was showing it for two years to all kinds of people. Yeah. Friends, family, people I didn't know, film festivals. And so there's not too much that surprises me, only because I had just tested it for so long. Yeah. Is there um, something that you studied in particular to get that kind of detail on the sound design? No. No, that no. Was, that was just playing around. And one of the freedoms of making a film this way is I didn't have anybody breathing down my neck on like a time crunch or it doesn't cost anything once you have the sounds to play with them for two years. So yeah. it was just a process of if I heard something that felt like it belonged in a movie called The Outwaters and it worked in the scene or made me feel something different that was weird or scary or beautiful, I let it stick and just it was two years of playing around only because I had the time, but I had not studied sound other than I took like a class in college. And my, I had a sound project, which was a found footage audio tape of two people that were investigating a haunted house. But that was like when I was 19. So I didn't really remember much. Wow, that's really impressive. Not only the sound design, the directing, the story, but like you acted in this. And I love your performance in it. There's a specific way that you speak, particularly when you say hello. It's like this sort of confused desperation. It made me like really uncomfortable. It makes me really uncomfortable every time I watch it. Yes. Yeah. So what was your process in preparing this character? I didn't prepare my character. I have a head wound and I'm going, I knew that I'd be going in and out of various stages of like self-awareness while obviously a lot of other things are happening as well. It was basically just being out there and running around actually in the dark. Yeah. Where there are rattlesnakes and scorpions and stuff like that. I just had total freedom. So for certain things, I would just try to get myself feeling as uncomfortable as I could, not physically, just like in how I was behaving. Like, ew, oh my God, like I would never want to be around this person. Like if I started feeling that way, I was like, this might be good. Like I didn't like try to draw myself to some kind of deep, dark place within myself. I just, you know, a lot of it was like not good. And <laughs> I would show it to some people who I trust. And if they thought a part of my performance was like not fitting, then I would just go redo it. Wow. Yeah, I didn't really have a process other than just doing. Yeah. No, because all the kind of maximalist chaos that ensues after that moment with your character, just so uncomfortable, creepy and unsettling. Fun to watch it with a date, which I'm not <laughs> going to do anymore. Um, oh, you know what? Actually, there is one thing that definitely inspired me. Alex Wolf's performance in Hereditary, he crumbled so much and got weak in a way that I don't normally see men portrayed in horror films in terms of his breakdowns and stuff. And yeah. I loved that. It just felt like something I hadn't quite seen before. You have these companion shorts to The Outwaters. You have the epilogue and then you have, um, why is the name not coming to my... Card Zero and File VL624. What was like your decision by creating these companion shorts to The Outwaters? There was always a scene in the film itself where I was supposed to be just kind of slice of life because, you know, it's almost like video diaries in bed with a boy I like. Once I put that into the movie, though, there were just like too many random things. Mm -hmm. And to have 
another character in it, kind of like the guitar player or my mom, like another character in it, but that just like you never see again, just felt like one character too much. So obviously I cut the gay one out because I don't like gay people. Um, no, <laughs> It didn't work for the film, but I still really wanted to explore some of my like dating and love insecurities and because I've never actually done that in my work. My work's very not personal in that way. Yeah, I mean, there are parts in the Outwaters that felt like that was being alluded to, which when you watch those companion shorts, it's interesting that it sort of like expands on that. I took the love thing and I decided to just make the prequel card zero as one memory card. It's the last card that my character would have used before I switched cards and went to the desert. I was like, oh, here's my chance to do like a little self-induced cringe found footage movie about gay dating that I have experienced and then filmed card zero after the Outwaters. The epilogue file VL624, it was after having finished the Outwaters and started to work on card zero, I just had ideas that I wanted to expand upon to kind of make the experience of watching all three of them together like bigger, if that makes sense. So that's yeah. file VL624. The idea is that it's restored, corrupted footage from all four of the memory cards that kind of come together to create this new layer. And that's the thing that I'm kind of almost most proud of. It was definitely the hardest editing job I ever had. It was yeah. the most experimental I've ever gotten with anything. Was there sort of an indie film that you looked to for inspiration in creating a film like this with such a small budget? Definitely Open Water. The filmmakers, I think they filmed it maybe for a year or two and they'd have to like fly all the, I think it was the Bahamas fly all the way down there to shoot for a day or two, and then a couple months later, like, fly back to the Bahamas. So open water really inspired me in terms of, like, getting something made with just not much. I, I think open water is amazing. The filmmakers for that also, they had come to my college to speak, so I was already a fan of the film, and then I got to hear them talk about it. There's a making of that comes with the DVD. It's probably also on YouTube. That was really inspiring to me. There's a book called Eight Days in the Woods by Matt Blasey, which is about the making of The Blair Witch Project in extreme detail from the moment of its like conception to advertising it. I didn't actually read that book until after I made The Outwaters, but that's something I would recommend like everybody read who wants to go make their own stuff. Also, if you like The Blair Witch Project, it's just like entertaining as fuck. What do you think of the sequel <laughs> to Blair Witch Project? Blair Witch? Yeah. Well, because there's the Book of Shadows, <laughs> which I actually love. The trailers came out for that and I was primed to know, all right, this isn't going to be found footage. So I wasn't like angry that it wasn't found footage. It felt like an old fashioned horror movie, Book of Shadows. And I still watch that on the reg. My problems with the new Blair Witch are that it looks like a studio made movie because it's a studio made movie and yeah. it's not like the acting is bad or it, it just feels very polished and studio like and that's fine but it doesn't feel like Blair Witch to me that said I've seen it a few times I enjoy watching it but it's yeah it doesn't feel of the same world like if I were doing a Blair Witch sequel personally I would fucking get a VHS camcorder and make it like another Blair Witch story from the 80s and have those tapes get found like those video cassettes. But that's me. You know what I mean? Don't let them take that idea from you. I hope they take it from me. <laughs> My problems with it are basically that it's so polished and clearly made with like really expensive cameras, or at least it looks that way. But like I said, I've seen it a few times, so <laughs> yeah. I enjoy watching it. I want to pivot a bit to growing up online in the 2000s and how horror looked different on the internet versus in theaters. I look at Alan Resnick's work, his found footage short called This House Has People in It. 
that he uploaded to YouTube around the same time actually you started making YouTube videos. And then series like Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared on YouTube and earlier stuff. Like, I don't know if you remember Salad Fingers, Creepypastas, or like any of the disturbing old Flash animated games on Newgrounds like The Ugly, or interactive games on websites for movies like Donnie Darko, The Grudge, or Fear.com. No. Not even Creepypastas? This world, I don't know. Oh, because there's a Skinwalker Creepypasta that reminds me a bit of The Outwaters. I only know about Slenderman because of that HBO documentary about those girls that like stabbed their friend. Oh, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. actually the first time I ever heard of creepypastas because of the HBO documentary. I can't even think of, like, horror stuff from online other than, like, trying to look up if, like, the house that we were going to go explore had, like, murders in it or something. Like, that's what I remember. <laughs> you like Donnie Darko. Do you remember the interactive Donnie Darko game on the website for the film? No. And I don't even remember visiting the Blair Witch website. Like, I was online, but it was, like, I was just learning that I was gay and I was like trying to talk to people in like AOL chat rooms. So it was like gay, age, sex, location, like ASL. (laughs) Um, That's what I remember. (laughs) Did you have like any sort of influence from internet culture of the 2000s, like informing your love of horror? What do I do? I'm trying to think of what what do I do online for horror now? It's basically like, (laughs) were there murders in this house? Were there murders in my building? There were that kind of shit. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm st- I still haven't even, I don't even think I've seen like a creepypasta website. What I found interesting about it was, it was just like this kind of throwback to pre-industrial like folklore kind of. Nothing was exactly written down. A lot of it came in like images or videos. Then sort of someone would create a story for it. If you ever do get the chance, check out Candle Cove. Well, I'm not doing anything tonight. I can go check out Candle Cove. Oh, and Mr. Bear Seller. They both were ahead of their time, in my opinion, relate to some stuff kind of going on now. Both of these stories revolve around disturbing kids shows that only some people remember. And in one of the stories, they reminisce on the show via message boards because they just need to communicate with someone about how weird this kid show was that they watched when they were growing up. And now with certain things that happened with kids YouTube in the late 2010s with Elsa Gate, seems like these stories were almost foretelling something to come because I don't know if you heard about Elsa Gate, but basically- nope. It's these YouTube videos that were being targeted to kids, and they had really weird titles that incorporated characters from beloved kids shows or Disney animated movies, but it would be like, Spider-Man kisses Elsa, but then in the episode, Spider-Man impregnates Elsa and then runs her over with his car, and then Mickey Mouse is like dancing outside and singing while Elsa lays dead on the ground waiting for an ambulance. Like weird, really macabre stuff that should not have been targeted towards kids that finally was dealt with and... Now kids will no longer be subjected to those videos, but there's going to be a generation of, I guess, Gen Alpha kids who are going to be like, whoa, does anyone remember these really weird and disturbing kids animated series on YouTube that I can't find anywhere? Like there's going to be some sort of collective (laughs) trauma associated to these YouTube kids shows that were really weird and almost seemed AI generated. It's such a strange thing. And I've thought about this one after I learned about what creepypasta is and like that's kind of what kids are looking at and i was thinking about well what's the comparison to when i was growing up and it was like literally going to the library to look up slides of old newspaper clippings like really nancy drew it did you ever look into the stories of some of the murders and the buildings that you <laughs> yes i paid 20 dollars a couple years ago to look into the murders of my building and there was in the 80s a mass shooting in my building Um, On New Year's, I guess it was technically New Year's Day, 
But on New Year's Eve, I'm on the second floor and someone on the third floor was like having a party because it's New Year's Eve. Hello. And someone on the second floor was like, I guess, really annoyed and went up and just shot everybody in the party. Oh, my God. So I learned that those are my also my worst nightmares, like literal nightmares that I have are like mass shooting. Like it's the worst. Yeah. I was just at the mall yesterday. It's the fucking news, yo. Because again, like statistically, it's just not something you actually have to worry about the kind of mass shooting that you think about yeah but i mean it's all i think about when i'm walking in crowded places so i just whatever gotta go to the amc and see saw 10 so no i love going to the movies but it definitely is a concern of mine like i always make sure i'm like very observant of the exits and how to make a quick escape ever since the aurora shooting can't sit down without at least thinking about that once And when I went to see Talk to Me, this person came in and they were weird in a way that was really uncomfortable. And they sat right behind me. I just left and (laughs) got the next movie. Like, that's like, I can't watch this horror movie with this person sitting behind me. I try to trust my instinct, even if I know it's stupid. I'd be like, (laughs) I shouldn't judge them, even if they're acting like insane. No, I do definitely judge people if they're acting insane. I I think it's good. It can save you. (laughs) It can save you. And had I been that way before I got robbed at gunpoint you know like I might have saved myself that experience but like I saw uh, when I was in college the Texas Chainsaw Massacre the new it was the prequel it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning came out yes there was this guy behind me and when they tied down Matt Bomer and like started cutting him up I swear to god the guy behind me started jerking off and that also probably like why I left talk to me when I saw <laughs> strange version say right behind me uh, you know what's weird I've had that same experience when I was like I think 14 I saw that M Night Shyamalan film The Village I went with one of my best friends we were the only two in the theater And this really old man comes into the theater and picks the seat right behind us. Yes. And he keeps like jiggling our chair, but in a weird way. And I look back and he was like covering his crotch. So I was like, excuse me, can you stop like jiggling my chair? And in like the funniest Scottish accent, he's like, why don't the law? I can't even imitate. He's like, say it, I'll try why don't it. you both fucking move? I don't even know why how to say it. Why don't you both fucking we- move? And we both got so scared that... We both went to opposite ends of the theater. My friend moved to the left of the theater. I moved to the right. And we had to like. Well, that was me last month that talked to me, except I was like, bitch, I'm going to Barnes and Noble and I'm going to browse some Cormac (laughs) McCarthy books and I'm going to spend too much money on vinyl. And then I'm going to come back to. (laughs) I'm going to come back to this establishment at the next showing and I'm going to make sure. So if anyone's listening to this, just look very paranoid behind you every time you go to the movies now. So yeah. Just look with wide eyes and then they'll be afraid of you and then it'll all be chaos. <laughs> what did you think of Talk To Me? Oh, I loved it. I me really too. loved it. I knew that it was special and not just good once the montage set to a remix of Edith Piaf's La Fou came on. I was just like, all right, well, this is my shit. Yeah. No, it's a really satisfying ending, too. Oh, I think my Blu-ray comes tomorrow because I Amazon primed it. Nice. (laughs) I don't know when this is coming out, but check out Talk To Me on Blu-ray. If you're listening to this, it's on Blu-ray. Yes, check it out if you haven't. I really, really enjoy Talk To Me. I wanted to talk about this phenomenon in which people assign decades of horror with a label to address a theme they all share. Mm -hmm. The 2000s were labeled torture porn a genre that was sort of looked down upon in the United States with the Saw series and Hostel, etc. France had their own kind of version of this with French New Extremity, Mm -hmm. which features films like Martyrs, Inside, High Tension. 
The French ones present these sympathetic characters, which seem to be depicting senseless violence against innocent people with the social political underpinning seeming to address France's violent history and colonial past. In contrast with the American films, which had very unsympathetic characters. You know, I still have problems with Jigsaw's morals. Like, I can't get behind yeah. it usually. Not Me usually. Either. Maybe one person every few victims. I'm like, all right, this is fine. But like, Jigsaw, you need to like rethink your morality. He's just a hater. <laughs> I'm not a big like Saw person, but I did really enjoy the new one I saw yesterday. The one that just came out? Yeah, I thought it was one of the better ones of the series. Oh, I'll check that out. I'm not a huge fan of the Saw series either, but I really did enjoy the first one. That one really did kind of scare me. So I'm always holding out for the new ones that come out, hoping that they'll be good. 2010s, there's this uh, label of elevated horror revolving around stories of grief and personal trauma that make them seem much more sophisticated, especially in comparison to the torture porn label of the 2000s. What do you think of that term, elevated horror to describe the horror films that came out in the 2010s. I don't know. <laughs> Every movie is its individual thing. I mean, elevated horror is a little, I know what it means, but to me, that just means like it's good. Like it's well written yeah. and it's like serious in some way, which I mean, has always been a thing. Like The Exorcist is like literature. So what do you think the 2020s horror genre will be described as or defined as? Which would include your film, The Outwaters. Queer, broke millennials making movies with their friends. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to see a return to like indie. Well, that's or- what, I mean, that's the thing that just just because of Skin and Ring coming out and we're all going to the World's Fair last year and then Terrifier 2, even though they're all, I think, very different, just these clearly uncompromised visions, they're all different being able to break into at least the mainstream theaters and have Nicole Kidman introduce them like. Just like a return to true indie spirit. Yes, scary indie renaissance. Let's manifest it. I was uh, wondering about your upcoming film, Tinsman Road. It's currently in post-production, yes? Yes. There were a couple rough cuts, and now I basically had to take all the footage, all the elements, and put them in a new computer and new editing system so I can actually edit it in a professional system because I edited Outwaters in iMovie, and I wouldn't recommend that. Wow. That's impressive. Sound design in iMovie. Bam. Not easy. No. I no. Wouldn't. <laughs> um, That's a horror movie in and of itself, I would say. <laughs> it really was, yes. So, however, learning a new editing system and taking apart a movie that was already basically almost finished, that's a horror movie in itself, too. So True. I'm currently procrastinating getting this new edit of the old edit started. I shot it while I was editing Outwaters. Wow. And, and working at Greenpeace? No, I had, uh, we'd all been canned due to the pandemic. Oh, right, right, right. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, no, it was uh, a blessing just because I had worked there for nine years and I really wanted to get back to film, uh, which is a good thing because then I get to do things like talk to you and not stand on the street corner and be like, come save a wolf, bitch. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, no. You could convince me. (laughs) I worked there for nine years. I was pretty good. Just be like, hey, you seem chill. I talked to Lana Del Rey when I was canvassing. Really? When was this? Like, okay. Her first album had just come out and people were talking about her, but I had not looked at anything. I just kept seeing Lana Del Rey, Lana Del Rey. And then finally I watched and I was like, oh my God, Lana Del Rey. And that week that I first discovered her, I was canvassing for Greenpeace in front of Amoeba Records in Hollywood. And I literally went in and bought the first Lana Del Rey CD. You know, I'm out there like, come save a wolf, come save a wolf. And then Lana Del Rey just walked past. And I was like, oh, are you Lana Del Rey? She was very new, I think, because she was very chill. She was like, yeah. 
And I was like, oh, I just bought your CD. She's like, oh, that's fine. I'm going to buy a bunch of my CDs too. I was like, oh, well, cool. And she was like, what are you doing? I was like, saving wolves. And I told her about the wolves, but I was too scared to even like try to sign her up. So I just talked about wolves and music and she was very nice and I am still a fan. Yeah, me too. She needs to be in a lot of movies, just saying. I know. I mean, her music videos are basically like little pieces of cinema, so she's doing it. But I would really like to see her in films. What's your favorite Lana Del Rey album? Blue Bannisters. Thunder is maybe my favorite song. And then um, Dealer, oh my God. Yes, I love that song so much. I could just go out of my body. I just go out of my body for Dealer. Yeah. I really want her in a horror movie. She should be. Or any movie. Maybe you should direct it. And then you can tell her about the wolves. That would be a dream. I could finally tell her about the wolves. She was so nice. Like normally people, when you try to stop them in canvas for whatever the issue is, they'll like lie and, oh, I got to go and I'll talk to you on my way out. And then they never do, which is totally understandable. I do it all the time. She talked to me and then she went and bought her stuff. And then she came back out and was like, tell me more about the wolves. I was like, oh my God. So nice. She does seem very nice. One of my favorite albums of hers doesn't get as much recognition as Honeymoon. I love listening to that on vinyl. Oh, I just love it. I could sit there with all of my Lana Del Rey vinyls and just open them up and just like look at them and glide my fingers over them and like smoke a cigarette because I'm still an asshole and like <laughs> think about things. And that's the good life to me. You know what? I actually have this question for you. If you could direct any music video for any artist, who would that be besides Lana Del Rey? Living? Yeah, living. Doja Cat. I've only literally last week became aware of Doja Cat, but now I'm like... What? Oh, yeah. Doja Cat's new music videos are really creepy. I've been loving them, too. Obviously, I've heard the name and I was aware that that's a person. But I never until the um, Demons music video came out and I saw it seemed like Skin and Rink was referencing it. So I'm like, all right, I'll watch this. And I was like, well, that was an amazing music video. And then I moved on to um, Agora Hills. And I was like, this is fucking amazing. And then I watched Paint the Town Red. I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is so I would have to say, yes, Doja Cat. I'm just waiting for that vinyl to come out. And the people at Barnes & Noble told me it takes six months. And I was like, what? But I don't think they know what they're talking about. So I settled for the CD. Nice. What's your favorite film that you've seen recently of any genre? Falcon League. It was put out by Yellow Veil Pictures. It is directed by Charlotte Le Bon. It's a French-Canadian. Yes. I saw it at the theater as I was watching it. I'm like, well, this is completely amazing. And then I left the theater. I'm like, I think that is like one of my favorite movies. And then the next day I was like, that's definitely in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. So I not only lucked out with a new favorite, but it's just one of my favorite films I've ever seen. So Falcon Lake. Oh, great. I'll check that out. It's uh, CanCon Canadian and I'm a fellow Canadian here. So, And I cannot wait for her to make another film. I cannot wait. I hope she makes another film. I hope it's not one of these because she's an actress. Hope it's not one of these things where like she makes a film and then it's like 15 years and then she makes I'm like, please make something soon. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to check that out. I actually, for TIFF in September, I managed to get free tickets to the Midnight Madness showing of Harmony Corinne's Agro Drift. And it was a lot of fun. And I think you'll really like that film. Really just got FOMO. Do you happen to know who's putting that out? Well, I think it's his new company, which is called Edgelord with no vowels. So it's very indie sleaze, like think Mastercraft. Amaze. I think they do video games as well. But this film was shot in infrared and it had a very like Miami Vice coloring to it. It was like the NPC Grand Theft Auto cutscenes all strung together. And the music was very cool. The title sequence at the end was a standout too. I wanted to see more of it. I think you would really like it. A couple of last questions here before we wrap up. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I could talk to you forever. So, okay, 
This is the funny thing about you to me is that I watched this film, didn't recognize your name. Sorry, I just I didn't. I, mean, I don't know why you would. And then I went and looked you up and I found your YouTube and I was like, I know this video, the gay pumpkin carving video on YouTube from like 2011 or 2012. I remember watching that. That's a deep cut. It is a deep cut. And I was like, what? This is the same person. I just thought that was like a really funny YouTube video. Well, so thank you. We'll go and check it out. It's yeah. It's a staple. <laughs> My YouTube years are so different than anything I did before them and anything I've done after. It's all like between two ferns style, like awkward. It's that's my kind of humor. It's I guess that's why I made it. But like, just like gay rejection. You know what's funny? I I still once in a while get recognized in public from YouTube channel stuff from however many years ago that was. Um, I still haven't been recognized because of Outwaters. Those gay pumpkins onto something. <laughs> that's so crazy that you've seen that. And someone wound up putting it on Letterbox. So if you want to log it, oh, I'll definitely log it. My IMDb. Is it's like you know all my stuff, and then someone put this on, so it's like Tinsman Road, The Outwaters, X Valis, Gay Pumpkin Carving Tutorial, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I can't get it off. Now I'm happy with it being up there, but there was an initial, are you fucking kidding me? And I was like arguing with YouTube, I'm like, this doesn't count as like a film. No, it counts. It's a short film. I'm sorry, but I've accepted that. <laughs> Do you still carve pumpkins like that? That's definitely how I carve. Oh, there's pumpkin carving in um, Tinsman Road. Yeah, there's a whole scene of pumpkin carving. And if any distributor tells me to cut it out, I'm not going to. I'll say, I'll just take my movie to YouTube, bitch. Exactly. I actually find pumpkin carving very exhausting. And I didn't do it for years. And then I was like, you know what? I don't have to carve a big ass pumpkin. I can get a small one and do it really quickly and be just as satisfied. So now I do like mini ones. I am planning on pumpkin carving in LA and in New Jersey, because I will technically be in either New Jersey or New York City on Halloween. Hopefully New Jersey. I like the uh, autumnal atmosphere. I thought it'd be very fall weather today because it, it starts early here in Canada. But today was like abnormally hot and sunny, but with like leaves all over the ground. Well, I'm in LA, so there's uh, none of that. But <laughs> it is chilly and I am drinking pumpkin spice coffee which I made. I love that. What is your like best Halloween costume? Every Halloween, I'm Donnie Darko. That's so. amazing. <laughs> it's comfy. It's just the skeleton suit with a gray zip-up hoodie and some um, black and white shoes. I write the date and the hours on my arm in marker like you did. And I don't foresee myself ever not being Donnie Darko for Halloween. It's also like, I never get invited to Halloween parties. So I'm always like either by myself on Halloween watching horror movies. Maybe one of my friends will come over, but I don't get invited to any fucking Halloween parties and I want to go to them. Oh, rude. For anyone in LA having, <laughs> or New your... Jersey, invite Robbie to your freaking Halloween party. Invite me parties. to your Halloween party. Oh my gosh. You should come to Toronto. I'll like throw a mini gathering. I've been to Toronto. I love Toronto. You do? Oh, that's nice. It's so expensive. You wouldn't believe the cost of groceries here right now. It's getting out of hand. How much is a gallon of milk? Oh, I couldn't tell you a gallon of milk because I don't drink milk because I'm lactose intolerant. Um, but I will tell you that red grapes are over $10. Oh, no. No, no. Yeah. Honey, I will eat shark bites instead. I just eat bread all the time. So that was like I an can't... 80s reference, shark bites. <laughs> Oh, I do have an alternate. I got all the elements to make Dallas's uh, Nostromo uniform. So I do have that always as a an alternate because somehow the clothing from that wound up becoming like kind of in style. Actually, the last Halloween party I went to, which was like seven years ago, 
they were like, what are you dressed as? I was like, I'm Dallas. I had the patches, but I just looked like how I normally dress. You're just on trend. It's fine. And maybe in a tangent universe, you are the character dressed up as the Winnie, Frank. Oh, Frank. I had an alternate YouTube channel for singing at the time of my Some Tips for Life channel on a heartbroken Halloween night when I had my heart broken, literally, <laughs> I I did a cover of Under the Milky Way in my Donnie Darko Aww. costume. So still avail. You see me being a little sad boy. It sounds so sad, but I want to see it. What is it that you love about Donnie Darko? It's uh, brilliant. Yeah. It came out when I was in high school, like the character. I had never seen anything like that. The music, you know, everything is amazing. And it's just completely original. Yeah. I still can't think of a movie like that. So I was just watching it actually the other day. And that moment when they get out of the back of the bus and Donnie's feet hit the ground, tears for fears. Yeah. Starts playing Drew like Barrymore that. Drew Barrymore's English teacher. Ugh. Yeah. Also, obviously I had a crush. Like that was a new experience. Like Jake Gyllenhaal was like a new thing. I'd never seen a Jake Gyllenhaal before. So I was, I was like in love with the character. I was in love with Donnie. I was probably doodling like Robbie and Donnie yeah. <laughs> in my notebook. When I was 16, I worked at McDonald's and I dressed up as a McZombie and I took everyone's name tag and put it on my shirt as like my wall of brains. We watched Donnie Darko at this Halloween party. I want a digital camera because I had the best costume, even though someone wore like a really intense Beetlejuice costume and I kind of felt bad for winning because I just wore my work uniform and painted my face. But like that made me think of I was at a high school party and I thought it was a good idea to show Gummo. <laughs> to put that on the TV, the tube TV. Um, and it was at that party that I went on a walk with Lauren Jackwich, who sings the end credits song, Red Hands for the Outwaters. So I met her at this party in at which I showed Gummo. And then we went on a walk and she started singing Killing Me Softly. And I was like, oh my God, your voice is amazing. And then we became friends. And then now her song plays over the end credits of The Outwaters and it's amazing. But you left everyone else at the party to watch Gomo. Um, I do <laughs> vividly recall people sitting down looking at it and being like, what the fuck is this? And then like getting up. I was like, maybe not the right move for a, a regular party, but I like you it. You need to ease them into it. Mr. Lonely, maybe start with that one. <laughs> so I just had a crusade in my high school. I intentionally tried to spread the movies Requiem for a Dream, Donnie Darko, and Gummo around my high school. Well, thank you for your service. You probably changed a lot of kids' lives. Bridgewater Raritan High School alum know what I'm talking about. I tried to change people's lives by making them watch White Chicks, but no one appreciated <laughs> it at the time. So. I still haven't seen White Chicks, and I've been meaning to. I listened to uh, Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald, who's a writer on that. <laughs> I think it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Alright, that's... You know why I haven't seen movie. it yet? Because there's no Blu-ray, and I'm like a snob. I guess I can just stream it. You're a true movie fan, because you're collecting Blu-rays. Oh, The Outwaters is on VHS, and actually, that's a great way to watch it. Well, actually, they're sold out, but if it ever comes back, it's actually a really cool way to watch it on VHS. I don't have a VHS player, but... Oh my god, get one. They're like 20 bucks. There's a vinyl out if anyone's interested for The Outwaters on Enjoy the Ride Records. Oh, sick. Probably like less than 200 left, and then it's on Blu-ray and streaming, obviously. Yeah, get it now, because in the future, it's going to be like a collectible... People will burn them in piles because you couldn't see anything. (laughs) (laughs) You're hilarious. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Love talking to you. You too. I'm happy to talk to you at any time. So just hit me up. This was fun. I was very much looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. I can't wait to see Tinsman Road when that comes out. You got to let me know. Let me know when you're premiering it. Maybe if you'll have a showing here in Toronto, that'd be amazing. 
I mean, I feel like Tiff should take me this time. They should. <laughs> I don't Come know. On, it, Tiff. Just, it depends on the movie. But I'm really excited about Tunes and Rue. It's very, very different than The Outwaters. And I'm very proud of it. And it's uh, most of the people in it are family. And my oldest friends, Nancy and Heather, are big characters in it. I put all my friends in movies. My oldest friend, Heather, she's never been in one of my movies. And now she's like, but has a big role in Tinjin Road. And I fucking love her in it. Oh, so Jersey. Yes, I'm so excited. It's not just like an experience for you. It's an experience for your friends and your family. Like your mom's call in the, the Outwaters is like devastating. <laughs> she's great. I would say she's the co-star of Tinsen Road. It's really like her movie, I think, for a lot of it. And she is amazing in Tinsman Road. I'm so excited for people to see my mom's performance in that. And my friends Nancy and Heather, like as the uh, these two girls I meet along the road in the backwoods. And for listeners, we'll let you know when Tinsman Road is coming out. But for now, you can check out The Outwaters on Screenbox. You can also rent it on Amazon. Right now, it's on Tubi for free with ad breaks, I believe, but it's also on Blu-ray, DVD, and VHS. There's a DVD coming out, I think, in the next two weeks that you can find at Walmart uh, and online that has The Outwaters, a movie called Creepypasta, and the Cube remake, so it's like a three-pack DVD that's coming out at Walmart. And it's exciting for me because the initial thing, it was only Blu-rays, and I felt bad for people who didn't have a Blu-ray player. Outwaters will be on DVD, um, so you could burn it in Around a Witch. Cube is also a Canadian film. Oh, the remake is? Or the original one? The original I think the one. original is Canadian. Pretty I sure. I haven't seen Could that in so long. I need to revisit that. That was definitely something I had on VHS. Our grade six teacher showed us that in math class. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty R-rated, right? Oh, he told us. He said, if I get one complaint, I will never let you guys watch another film in class. No one complained. That's the kind of teacher I like. Listeners, you heard it here. Follow Robbie on Insta at The Outwaters and be on the lookout for Tinsman Road. Yeah, I'll have my after party there with the Harmony Crime film as well at Heart of Sick. Gold for that <laughs> next year. Hopefully it's not um, Julian and the Donkey Boy. Oh, you just, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe I gave you some bad ideas here. Mr. Lonely. Mr. Lonely is not available except on like really expensive out of print DVD, I think. Look at you. True film fan. Dork. You're supporting the <laughs> film industry in a way that I am lacking. Thank you so much, Robbie. It's been so great talking to you. You as well. Have a great day. And to listeners, see you later. See you later. See you later.